are through a series that we have just entitled Less is More. Uh, we have looked at the themes of uh, basically answering the question, what could you do without in 2020 that would do you well? And uh, we've looked at themes that, um, such as I could do better with less self-sufficiency, an unhealthy self-sufficiency, I should say, in my life. I could do better with less selfishness in my life. I could do better with less being easily offended, let things roll off, move on a little bit more in my life. Um, and today, we look at this last theme of uh, uh, I could do better with less anxiety in my life. Um, there's a lot of things to worry about in life, right? I don't have to tell you that. probably didn't write that down in your notes because you know that already. There's a lot of things in life to worry about, a lot of things that produce anxiety in our life. And uh, this week was no different. Um, the, uh, every week brings with its own share of unique things. Um, but the big thing this week was falling iguanas in Florida, right? Did everybody see that? Watch that little fiasco happening in Florida. That uh, This actually came out on a, uh, the National Weather Service, uh, which I've never seen them uh, talk about falling animals before. But, but because of low temperatures in parts of southern Florida, uh, iguanas that live in the trees would get to the place where they would basically... Their bodies would shut down because it was so cold, and they would begin to fall out of trees. And so the National Weather Service felt obligated and necessary to warn people, um, just look out, I guess. And so uh, it actually happened. Uh, someone, some animal rescue place actually went around with their truck and began to collect uh, falling iguanas that had fallen out of trees. Um, and uh, so there was that to worry about um, if you didn't have anything else to worry about this week. Um, I don't think we have iguanas around here, but be careful. It's cold outside, so you should look out for that. Um, we also, some of you are really worried because you have a team in the Super Bowl after 50 years of waiting for that. Um, and so that's a fun thing to look forward to. I know one guy uh, talked about the stress that a coworker was in uh, because of the, uh, the Chiefs being in the Super Bowl. He said this, that, uh, that he has two tickets for the 2020 Super Bowl, both box seats. He paid $5,000 for them last year, but didn't realize last year when he bought them that it was going to be on the day of his wedding and that his Chiefs would be in the game. And so he's looking for someone to go in his place. And so it happens to be at St. Joseph's Church in St. Charles at 3 p.m. Her name is Melissa. She's 5'7", 140 pounds. She's a great cook. She'll be the one in the white dress. Okay? So, all right, that's not real. That's stolen. But uh, I, I like that, and I just thought I'd get that in there. So, um, uh, because laughter is good for anxious hearts, right? So, um, all kidding aside, life is full of things that create anxiety in our life. I know that, you know that, but the good news is, is that as we open the pages of the Bible, what we find is that God offers help for us to lessen that anxiety, to deal with that anxiety in maybe more productive ways. And so today, um, I'm going to scare you, I'm going to create anxiety by saying this. I have 10 gifts that God gives to us to deal with our anxiety, but don't worry, we won't be here longer than normal, which is sorry, a long time anyway, but we won't be here longer than normal. Um, but I, I just want us to think through some of the gifts that God gives us to deal with our anxiety. Um, I want to lay 
three foundational statements, maybe four, before we jump into this, though, okay? Uh, because anytime we talk about anxiety, um, there's several things that come. And I want to define a few things and lay a foundation here for us that I hope will help us as we process this and think about this um, to be able to, to see this, uh, exactly what I'm trying to talk about. The first one is this, um, that God's desire for you to have less anxiety in your life comes more from his love for you than from any legalistic anger. Uh, if you're a worrier and we preach a sermon on worry, you're more anxious because you're thinking, oh man, now I'm, I'm reminded that God doesn't like me when I'm angry. And so that is not where I'm trying to go with this today. And I don't think that's where the Bible is trying to go. When the Bible reaches out to you and says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, make your petitions known to God. It's not God yelling at you because he's angry at you. God just loves us. He cares about us. Um, the verse um, we come back to a lot every once in a while is that John 10, 10 verse where Jesus talks about a thief who comes to steal and kill and destroy, but Jesus comes to give life. And uh, I think in that tone that God longs to give life to you, um, he says, hey, don't worry, but trust me instead. Trust in me. You don't have to be anxious. You don't have to be troubled all the time because I love you and, and I care for you. And so I, I, lest you hear this sermon today and you leave here today with a lot more anxiety because we talked about guilt or talked about worry and, and anxiety, I want to dispel that, okay? So put that aside. Just breathe, relax, and, and just hear God's heart in all of the things that he's going to invite you to today. Number two uh, is this. Um, anxiety does have a normal place in our lives, uh, and we're not going to really talk about that today. Right, we'll define that, what I mean by that. But we are talking today about chronic anxiety that masters us instead of serves us. Um, I'll define that this way, that just reminder that there is a place in your life for anxiety, right? Your body has a nervous system, right? It's part of who you are, right? And that nervous system is meant to serve a purpose in your life, um, for example, um, you're standing on a street corner, you see a car coming at you or your family, and, and your, your body automatically responds to that, right? It's that little place in your brain, the amygdala, a smart word for the day, I think that's what it's called. It's that little thing in your brain that responds to threats, responds to, to situations that, that it, it shoots stuff into your body. It begins to prepare you to, to respond and act accordingly, and so that is a healthy, normal part of who you are. And so... Um, I saw an article this week that, um, to illustrate this idea of a healthy uh, anxiety, uh, going off that whole iguana thing. I've been fascinated by that. So they're just going to get lots of iguanas all through the sermon today. Uh, but I saw an article that happened to say that if you do happen upon one of those iguanas that's laying on the ground, like don't pick it up and take it inside thinking, oh, I've got a, this iguana. Because when the body's temperature of the iguana begins to warm back up, guess what it's going to do? It's going to wake up and it's going to see you and it's going to feel threatened and it may attack you and bite you and 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 so that that just whole thing if you're sitting in your house and a previously immobile cold seemingly dead iguana comes to life and all of a sudden your body is going to respond to that okay that's healthy and good you should run away from that scary iguana now okay and so that's a good thing um your life. So there is a healthy anxiety that we should be aware of. Um, if you're getting, it's almost tax season, not to create more anxiety, but you get to April 15th and you haven't done anything and you start feeling nervous and anxious, that's good. That's creating you. Get busy. Do something about that. Right? Sometimes that anxiety is a good thing. Right? Um, um, and so sometimes that is, that is a good thing. Um, 
just a reminder that the test is coming up or, or, or things need to get done in your life, okay? And so we all have that. That is a normal part of who we are. So just because I, f- I know I have a deadline coming up and, and there's maybe an anxious feeling about that doesn't mean necessarily I need treatment or, or medicine or anything like that. It just means maybe I need to step into that, that my body is just responding to a known thing. But the Bible does talk about a different kind of anxiety. I think in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, we're going to look at this verse in a second, which says, do not be anxious about anything. Um, that verse is not talking about you should never feel anxious. That verse, the verb tense of that verb, about do not be anxious, really is a, a word that means do not be continually anxious, right? We all feel anxiety and, and anxiousness and worry about things in our life. That is good and that is normal. But it's when that anxiousness begins to take over us, when it begins to, to rule our minds and our lives. Um, I love what one person said. Um, I think this is from Chris Seedman, who uh, he had a sermon series a couple years ago that I, I had some really good things from, from that that I'll share in this today. But um, he says this, that we're talking today about this chronic sense of uneasiness, apprehension, nervousness that is ever present in someone's life. This is when anxiety is no longer your servant to your well-being. This is when anxiety has become your master. This is about anxiety as a way of life, not as anxiety when you are facing a legitimate threat. This is anxiety that is more internally rooted instead of being externally provoked. This is about anxiety dominated by the what-ifs of life, not by the what-is's of life. This is the kind of anxiety that keeps you from ever going to Florida because you fear falling iguanas, all right? Now, just know that you don't have to fear going to iguanas and going to Florida. Your chances of being strangled and eaten by a boa constrictor are much greater than an iguana falling on your head if you go to Florida, okay? And so it's that, it's that unhealthiness, though, that says it keeps me from going to things that I would do because of this fear inside that is not necessarily rooted in reality, but it's more of the what-ifs. This is the kind of anxiety that keeps you from ever going on any kind of trip or, or keeps you from doing things that are right because it just the what-ifs just keep working in your mind. And so uh, when we think about this, we're talking more about today that it's not a, uh, an anxiety that's a servant to us, but it's that masters us. And, and number three is this one. Um, and I tried really hard to say this rightly because I don't want to offend or hurt anybody with this statement, okay? Medical care and medicinal treatment is a valid and valuable help in dealing with chronic anxiety. I think we just need to say that sometimes, that, that just like you would go to the doctor, if you have cancer, if you have a heart condition, they're going to give you medicine to try to treat the symptoms of that. Um, and so in the same way, our mental health, we may need some times in our life when, boy, I just need some help. Um, from a counselor or from a doctor or someone or from medicine that is going to begin to help me manage some of the symptoms of what's going on as I deal with the anxiety in my life. Um, And so having said all that, that is legitimate and real and valid and a good thing. And so if you're in that place, please don't hear any condemnation or rebuke. I I want to embrace that and say that's good. But just like if I go to the heart doctor um, and he puts me on medicine because my blood pressure's out of whack or something's wrong in my, with my heart, um, they're going to say, hey, here's some medicine that's going to help the symptoms. 
but they're also going to come back to you and say, hey, here's some lifestyle changes, right? They're going to suggest, hey, maybe eat less pizza and pop, right? And by the way, I said that in a sermon two weeks ago, and I went to the store because one of my kids wanted some pizza, so I get caught in the checkout line with pizza and pop, okay? So I'm a hypocrite. Uh, I will own that. Um, and so I, I just want to confess that to all of you because somebody caught me, all right? So I just want to get that out there. I feel better now. Um, but just understand, just, just so like you would go to a physical doctor, and they would give you medicine, but they would say, hey, let's deal with the whole issue here too. In the same way, just as the Bible is very comfortable, I think, with doctors, with medicine, one of your gospels is written by a doctor, Dr. Luke, all right? Um, so it's very comfortable with that. But the Bible is also calling us to deal with the core issues, not to just let the, the medicine or the doctor deal with all the things, but, but we are a holistic being, right? Physical, emotional, spiritual. And so God is calling us also to deal with the core issues of heart and soul and mind that sometimes feed our anxiety. And so it's healthy sometimes to involve medicine and doctors and, and the things that that can do to help us manage symptoms. But also, we also must be on a pursuit to say, Lord, Lord where's, where's the root of my anxiety? Where's this coming from in my life? Um, and how can I deal with the heart as well, with the soul as well in all of this? Okay, so some foundational things. So as we, as we jump into these 10 gifts, I just want to put those out there because I think they're helpful. Um, and, I, and I think, again, in the, in the tone of God understands not from an angry judge, but from a caring father, he understands the, the danger and the difficulty and the pain and the hurt that anxiety and worry brings into our life. He warns us, Jesus does, in Luke chapter 21, verse 34, um, in a verse that talks about a lot of other things, but in the course of that, he makes a comment I think that is, is helpful for us to think about. He says this in Luke 21, 34, it says, be careful or your hearts will be, here's that word that I want you to think about, weighed down with carousing or drunkenness and the anxieties of life. Now, there's a separate sermon with carousing and drunkenness. Maybe we could do, maybe we could do a lot better with less of that too. I don't know. But for today's topic, I want us to think about how the heart can be weighed down by the anxieties of, the li of life. All right? that, that phrase of being weighed down is just carrying extra weights, weight that you're not intended to carry, weight that isn't necessary, weight that isn't helpful uh, for us emotionally, spiritually, relationally. And Jesus warns us to be careful. And with that little phrase, being careful, I think he brings, involve, in, brings into our minds, it wants us to think about, well, if I'm going to be careful, then that involves some intentionality on my part, that I need to be intentional, I need to be careful so that those things don't happen. That involves me making some steps that maybe keep me from falling into those traps of being weighed down by the anxieties of life. See, you and I can drift into anxiety so easy, but no one drifts into peace. Uh, no one drifts into calmness of mind. You have to oftentimes pursue that and, and chase after that. And so the natural tendency is to drift into being weighed down by anxiety. And I'll illustrate it with this. Uh, several years ago, uh, many of you, I don't watch the show a lot, but I've seen it a few times. I mean, you're a religious watcher of uh, the Deadliest Catch TV show, and, and, and that has brought to our minds and our attention the idea of the whole fishing industry, uh, of the, the proliferation of that. And we all like to go to Long John Silver's and have our fish, right? There you go. That's a hard issue thing. Um, maybe I'm the only one who likes to go to Long John Silver's. Somebody, Zach, you're a, you're a Long John Silver's fan? 
No, somebody, ever, so somebody else ever out here once in a while will text me and say, I'm going to Long John's, you want some? And I'll say thank you. But oh, Steve, all right, very good. All right, very good. I got a few. All right, uh, that's what Jesus multiplied when he provided fish. It was Long John Silvers, in case you did not know that. So, uh, but this show, The Deadliest Catch, has kind of reminded us of, that, of the, not only the, that industry, but the dangers of that industry, right? And so why do people get on a boat, go out into deep waters to catch fish? Well, they do it because it's profitable, right? There's a profit to be made in that. Several years ago, there was a string of three deadly fishing boat disasters off the northeast coast. In 13 days, three ships were lost, all of them fishing ships, all off the coast of New Jersey, all from the same dock. Ten men died in the course of those accidents. And what was unique as they investigated them was that none of them had any structural damage when they went down. There was no holes, no breaches in their boats. All three were piloted by captains that had been uh, more than a decade uh, behind the wheel and had experience. And all went down just a few miles from shore. The problem was that all three were carrying 15 tons more weight than they should have been. And as they talked to other captains in, in that dock and around the area, they realized that in recent years, almost all captains were carrying multiple tons more weight than they should have been because they wanted to bring in bigger hulls to make more money. And they learned the idea in a harsh, uh, painful way that being overweight, being overloaded had become normal and it was incredibly dangerous and they paid the price for it. And I think that illustrates a little bit of what Jesus is talking about. He says, be careful that you don't let the anxieties of life weigh you down. And we all know that. We've, we've been there. We've had worry, anxiety begin to work into our life and it affects our quality of life. It begins to affect everything about you, uh, your relationship struggle. None of us are at our best when uh, we're struggling under anxiety and worry. None of us are. Uh, or just our testimony, right? Jesus wants us to go and tell people about the Prince of Peace. And, and if we're struggling to to find that, then that affects our testimony in some ways. And so all of those things, that weight can be felt and has lots of consequences to it. And so having said all of that, I just want you to quickly look at a couple of passages. I just want to highlight 10, <coughs> 10 gifts, excuse me, 10 gifts that come and help us with our anxiety. And having said that, these are not simple things, but they are gifts that when we begin to unpack them, use them, multiply them out in our life, what we find is that God begins to work peace into our life where there is anxiety. And so I'm going to read a passage from 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm going to read a passage from, from Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to just draw out 10 different gifts that God gives to you to use when you are wrestling with anxiety and to help us from being overcome and to be overwhelmed uh, under the weight of those pressures. The first one is this, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. It says this, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So look through that verse. I find, uh, I think, at least two, if not three, two, if not three, um, gifts that God gives to us. The first gift is one that I wouldn't normally think about until I went back and looked at this again more this week. And it's the gift of humility. It's the gift of humility. Like any other struggle, anxiety creates a situation, and I will say that again, like any other struggle, anxiety and worry creates a situation that gives you the opportunity to humble yourself. Now, this isn't an exciting place to start, 
None of us likes the thought of, well, I love anything that humbles me. That's a fun thing. Um, that can be a painful and a hard thing, but it's a good thing. To be humbled in a godly way where we come to a place where we look up to God and we say, God, I can't do this. I need your help. Or just as good if we say to another brother or sister who loves us and we love them, I can't do this anymore. That is a humbling thing, but that's a healing thing. Jesus would say in the Beatitudes, the first Beatitude is blessed are those who are poor in spirit. To be poor in spirit means you're broke. It means you can't do it yourself. It means you need help. And so when Peter begins that passage with humble yourselves under God's mighty hands, um, I just think there's a beautiful gift that oftentimes we miss. It's the beautiful gift of just humility, of just being able to, to appreciate the idea, God, thank you for this hard thing that reminds me that I can't do it myself. I still need you. I still need my brothers and sisters. I need someone in my life to help me walk on this journey. And in a lot of this, we go back to the first sermon where we talked about the idea of self-reliance, of self-sufficiency. And I think part of that self-sufficiency kicks in when, when we're struggling with things and we refuse to say to God, God, I can't do this anymore. Or we refuse to say to a friend, I need help. I can't do this anymore. And so those are hard places, but the gift of humility is a beautiful gift that God gives to us when we struggle with anxiety and worry. But in this passage, there's also another one that I want you to see. Uh, it's the gift of casting. And I, don't, I couldn't find, I don't know what the right word for this is, but I, I love his wording there, right? What a beautiful mental image when you're wrestling with things, when you're carrying those burdens of casting them, right? It's the idea of taking something that is here and moving it there. And it's not just casting it away, but I'm casting it on him. Right? I'm taking something that is heavy and hurtful and, and worrisome in my life and I'm casting it on to the king of the universe, the one who is all-powerful, the one who has all at his disposal. Um, and there's something beautiful about that. And so I think the gift of casting, and again, I think just like we've said before, when that little verb tense of of don't just be anxious, it's not just a one-time thing, but don't continually be anxious. And I think this casting is similar. Continually cast, continually cast whatever it is on God. That involves relationship and communication. Uh, maybe that's journaling, maybe that's communication, maybe that's talking, whatever that may be. Um, it may involve you going out and throwing rocks. I don't know if you want to go back to Forrest Gump, right? Sometimes there's just not enough rocks. And so you, you, whatever that means, God, I got to cast this on you because I can't carry this myself. And there's a third thing in this passage that is just as beautiful, and it's that little word um, of his concern and his care. Why do I cast all my anxiety on him? Because he cares. That's why. Because the God of the universe cares about what you're going through. He cares about your hurts. He cares about that burden. He cares about what you are wrestling with. And so he invites you to humbly cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Dallas Willard, I think, is deceased now. If, I'm not, if, I'm, if not, I apologize to him. Uh, but I believe he's a deceased Christian author, writer, professor for many, many years. Um, and when he was a young man, a young boy, actually, his mom died at a very early age and his dad raised him. And because of that scenario in his life, he, he connected with several other people who had gone through similar things. And he once told the story of another little boy whose mom had died at a similar age as he had, his had. And, and he talked about how that young man was so sad. 
justifiably so. And he told the story of how he, would, how he dealt with that. And he would come home and he would come into his dad's room at night and say, Dad, can I sleep in, with you? And the boy just could not rest. And so dad would say, yeah, sure, we're all hurting. Just come and you can sleep here. But then the boy wouldn't go to sleep unless the dad's face was facing him. And so throughout the night in the dark, he would just ask the question, Dad, is your face still turned toward me? And dad would say, yes, my face is still turned towards you. And he couldn't go to sleep until he knew assuredly that dad's face was toward him. And so that became the change that those guys would have at the end of the day, even as they outgrew that boyish phase into the teen years and adult years. And they would always just use that phrase, dad, is your face still turned toward me? He would say, yes, my face is still turned towards you. And it was just a code. It assured that boy that he could rest. And I, I don't know how many ways we could, we could spend the rest of the day looking at verses just of God's reminder, his face is turned toward you, all right? You don't have to doubt that. You don't have to wrestle with that. No, because of that, if nothing else, his face is turned toward you. And so when you wrestle with things, when you go through stuff, just know that, that you're casting your cares onto the being in the universe who cares about you more than anybody else in this universe. And so there's humility is the gift, casting is a gift, his care and concern is a gift. But then Peter goes on the next two verses in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9 to say this, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. Two more gifts in these verses we'll touch on very quickly. One is intelligence. And I mean intelligence in the way of like, like CIA stuff, right? He kind of gives you a behind-the-scenes uh, picture here to say, you know what, if you would try to explain all the things that are going on in your life, one of the things you need to account for is that there's an enemy who may attack you in lots of different ways, like a lion. But, but he, just on the heels of saying, hey, there's this whole anxiety, worry thing you're going to deal with in your life, certainly Satan would use that. One of the things he would use to destroy you and ruin your life would be just to throw worry and anxiety back into your life so that he can harm you, hold you back, hinder you, whatever he may do with that. And so Peter connects this theme, and I think just knowing that. Again, I don't think every anxiety in your life is Satan, right? There's legitimate anxiety that just comes. I generate it myself. I'm, I'm bad enough on myself that way to create that. But I think Satan will use any anxiety that you and I have, certainly to roll that back on top of us, to make us feel that weight and to hinder us. And so intelligence, Peter helps us to understand the way that our enemy is working against us. And then there's this beautiful one here at the end of this. He talks, he's in a bigger picture of this whole book and letter, he's talking about the suffering that all these Christians are going through in this letter. And they're all hurting. They're aliens. They're strangers, Peter says earlier in the letter, because there's this, they're just the world around them doesn't like Jesus, doesn't like Christianity. And so the Christians are the one place they can attack because they're doing it. And so it's hard for them. And so he says those beautiful words, resist him, stand firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. In other words, uh, you are not alone. You are not alone in this. You're not alone in this journey. And as you and I go through life, as you and I go through, there's just this gift of community, I guess would be the word that we'd put for it, the gift of community. 
Satan, not only does he like to just help you feel the pressure of your worries and anxieties and feel hopeless, but he wants you to feel alone in them. He wants you to feel like you're the only one who feels like that. And anxiety does that, like, unlike any other thing in our life, I think. It makes us feel like we're the only one in this. And so when you find someone else or someone else's that have felt that, that go through that, and hearing someone else say, hey, me too, I hear you in that, um, there is something very comforting and helpful, helpful in that. And so you are not alone in this. Um, I'm going to ask for you to do something courageous here. <laughs> you don't have to do it, but um, I, I just would just say, just on the benefit of those in this room, if you have ever had a severe bout of anxiety that has interfered with your life, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand. Look around at you, okay? <laughs> Look around. You are not alone, all right? And so when you and I go through things like that, there is a community of people who get it. And don't ever fall for Satan's lie that you are alone in that. All right, so that's First Peter. There's five gifts that we come, come to from that that are beautiful gifts, helpful gifts, not easy gifts to make it all go away, but just gifts to help you walk through it and to keep going. And then we go to Philippians chapter 4. I just want to read, we're going to go quickly through these. Um, Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Paul would write this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now we're going to get to the next verse in a second, which deals with anxiety and not, not being anxious. But before Paul gets to that, the very thing he says right before, don't be anxious, is he reminds us of a couple of gifts. One is nearness. Nearness, that little phrase, the Lord is near, goes very much in hand in hand with the Lord cares, but the Lord is near. So not only does he care, but he's not distant, he's close. So he is near to you. And so don't ever doubt that. Again, Satan wants you to feel alone, but the Lord is near. And the second gift that I think comes out of this verse is the gift of rejoicing. Is the gift of rejoicing. There is always something to be said for rejoicing for responding, excuse me, for responding to your anxiety and your worry with worship. You see, he doesn't say rejoice because you're struggling. He doesn't say rejoice because, oh man, life's hard and you feel the weight of it. He just simply says rejoice in the Lord. Look to him. Praise him for his traits. Praise him for his goodness. Praise him for all that he is because there's something soul lifting about responding to difficult things with rejoicing. And oftentimes we replace worship with worry. And when we begin to reverse that cycle, we begin to re re replace our worry with worship, all of a sudden we're just allowing a little bit of who God is to enter into our darkness and our struggle and our hurts. And so the nearness of God, the rejoicing of God are great gifts. He goes on in verse 6 to say this famous verse. Uh, by, I think I've heard several people say this. If you, according to Amazon, which everything's according to Amazon now, the most highlighted verse on online Bibles is verse 6. It's this one right here. Around the world, the most highlighted verse in all the scriptures is this one. And so do you think the world has an anxious problem when this is the most highlighted verse in the world? I think we do. We need this, right? Do not be anxious about anything. Again, don't be continually anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer, petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Some more gifts is the gift of prayer. The gift of prayer. God gives us the ability to talk to him, and he, he talks about it in so many different phrases there, right? Think about what he says there, but in every situation, 
Oftentimes we don't pray because things either seem so small to us. They seem small in our minds. Why would God care about this? What a small, petty thing, but yet my world is revolving around it because I can't get my mind off of it. And yet it seems so small, so I don't pray about it. And so what does that say? In every situation, no matter what, you can pray to God about it. You can talk to him about it. But then the second thing that keeps us from praying, I think, is oftentimes the sense of selfishness. Well, God, really what I want here is kind of, it, it sounds selfish. This is what I want. And I don't know if you're going to do that, so I won't talk to you about it. But I would just remind you that Jesus in the garden, in the most beautiful moment of surrender, began with a confession of selfishness. Father, I know the cross is before me, but what I would like would be another way. And if there be another way, let's go that way. But if not, I've put it out there, I'm going to do it your way. We'll go to the cross. And so there's this path to surrender that oftentimes acknowledges selfishness. And that's a good thing for me to say to God. God, this is what I want. And so I need to put this out there. Because to be honest, this is what I hope happens in this situation. But if it doesn't, I trust you enough to follow your way. But I got to be honest here because this is what I want. And I think we're so, so often we're not honest about that. And we think, well, I won't talk about it because really what I want. And we have this little power tension, that, this power struggle, this tension that create, is created because we're not honest to God. And so he gives us the gift of prayer. But he also gives us the gift of thanksgiving. He says, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. And it's, what does thanksgiving do to that? I love this phrase that someone said. That giving thanks causes me to slow down and review all that God has done in the past. To think and to thank come from the same root word, and I can't be thankful without being thoughtful. And so as you take the time to stop and give thanks to God, again, maybe not for what you're struggling with, but there are a lot of things. If I change the direction of my mind and I begin to concentrate, meditate, stew on the goodnesses of God, it just begins to do some things within me. That's a gift that God gives us of thanksgiving. And maybe that means that you need to begin to keep some kind of journal. And maybe you are a poet, maybe you are a writer, and you can fill journals and notebooks full of beautiful things. And if that's you, good for you. But maybe you're just shorthand, and in your phone, you need to just put three or four things a day. Hey, this happened. Yay. And that's all you got to put. But it's just a digital log, a written log of something that says this is what happened and then over time, I think, what am I thankful for? What's God done for me lately? I'm able to go back and scroll through some of those things. I mean, God has been good to me. I am, have reasons to be thankful. And so thanksgiving. And then verse 7, he goes on to say this. We'll go quickly here. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What's that gift? That gift is the gift of promised peace. That when I do all the other gifts, God promises I'm, I'm in this. For you and with you, I will guard your hearts. I will guard your mind. And there's just a beautiful picture there of just promised peace. And then finally, he finishes with this last gift in verse 8 and 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So, what's the gift here? I think the gift, and I've struggled with the word, this word, I don't know if I like it or not, but I'm gonna, I ran out of time. So here we are. Control is the word. That God gives you control. Again, not everything, I get it, when you're struggling with anxiousness and worry, there are some things that feel out of our control, but there are some things that are in our control. 
And so oftentimes, um, Peter, or Paul, excuse me, just invites us to control what we can. I love this analogy um, of a, uh, what do they call those people? An air, um, those people who control flights when they land and stuff like that. You know what I'm, Air traffic controller is what I'm trying to say. An air traffic controller, right? Um, it's a person who sits at a screen and he's got a radar screen and, and, and things pop onto that screen. And guess who controls which planes land and which ones don't? The guy sitting in the chair. And there are days in my life when there are things that pop onto my screen that are, are not any of those things. They are the opposite of all those things. They are negative. They are bad. They are discouraging. They are depressing. On and on they could go. But I choose to let them land and I dwell on them for too long. And, uh, and I would be better. We would be better if we were to take last week's lesson, let it move on. Let that one land somewhere else. I'm going to choose to land this one, and I'm going to choose to think about things, intentionally go looking for things. God, what is true in my life? What is good? What are the noble things? What are the pure things? What are the lovely things? What are the admirable things? And even into verse 9, who are the people who seem like they're walking this well that I can look at, that I can connect to, and I can, I can think on them? Just give me some good things to thought. Because how often have you thought about what you often think about? And oftentimes we, we have some control over this. And again, I'm not saying this is easy, but we have some level of control over some of this. And so I invite you today to just think on these thoughts. Um, I love what Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, just is a summarizing verse here. This is a bigger context, but we... It says simply this, that God will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you and him. Uh, again, I think that incorporates so many things of these gifts. That God comes and, and he's going to do these really good things, but he asks us to, to control what we can control, to work where we can work, to do what we can do in partnership with him. And maybe day by day. He begins to lift some of that weight and, and the mind begins to clear. Or, or maybe it doesn't happen quickly. Maybe it takes time. Maybe it never happens. I don't know. But I know God is faithful as we walk with him to keep us moment by moment, day by day, week by week, year by year in his perfect peace.